0: How about that? Yeah. All right. See, that wasn't fair. I was looking back at you, and you're going, "I can't help you, buddy." Okay. Hey, it is so so good to be here. I, this is my this is my New York church. I live in Denver, Colorado, but uh, when I come to New York, this is home, and uh, I just love I love your pastor, Pastor Stevie's my New York pastor, and you're my New York family. Is that okay? You didn't even know that. <laughs> You, you, uh, you have been, um, just whether you know it or not, you've been an important part of Urban Islands Project, and, and uh, that little video just kind of gives you just a taste of what we're trying to do, which is uh, increase the presence of the church in the cities, um, a great need for that. And so if you want to know more about that, you can look at our website, and you can... Uh, we have an app you can download. We have a Facebook page. We'd love for you to go to the Facebook page and like the page. When you do, that tells us you're going to be part of our prayer team. We have like 2,500 people now praying for us. The more, the merrier. So I'd love for you to go there. You can even do that right now while I'm talking. It's all right with me. And then uh, we also have, I brought along a few of these little brochures. If you'd like to have something to take with you, I've got them right up here with me. Come up and see me at the end of the service today. Um, But my main focus today, I'm not going to talk too much about Urban Islands Project directly, but I am going to tell you about the story of how Urban Islands became what it is, and really the foundation of everything we do is something I'm going to invite you to to, uh, consider being a part of. Um, In fact, I'm going to share with you, by the time we're done, I'm going to give you an action step today that everybody in this room can take. Everybody can do it that's going to help you set in motion a, uh, a wave of God's love and peace throughout this community that you live in. And um, I, 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 I'm really excited about sharing this with you. But in order to do that, um, I, I, I showed you that video for more reasons than just to show you what Urban Islands is about. Did you notice the spokesperson that was speaking, beautiful young lady? Well, it happens to be my daughter that's Lindsay, my daughter. And, oh, yeah, I just threw in the grandkid pictures. How many of your grandparents, yeah, the greatest thing ever, amen, amen. And so, um, but the reason I, Lindsay was, is actually a really good spokesperson, I think she could get a job in doing that if she wanted to. But the reason I asked her to do that is because I wanted to be able to tell her story because it was very much a part that inspired me. Because what happened was, Lindsay was uh, attending school at a a university in in Southern California. And uh, she called me one day, this is like 12, 15 years ago, she called me and said, Dad, and she's crying. She said, Dad, God's called me to the urban city centers. And I i 'm a parent, I just went what <laughs> you're freaking me out here a little bit, girl. What are you talking about? Yeah, well <clears throat> she said there's this organization that goes into cities and and they they move teams in there and they spend a year there and I, I want to go be part of that and so i i uh i listened I asked her to tell me some more about it, which i 'll tell you in just a minute and and we agreed this is a good thing. we helped her get there, and she ended up moving into a neighborhood in Atlanta, Georgia, just to the east of downtown, and spent a year there with a group of students living in a, in a house right there in the neighborhood um, and serving the neighbors and serving the neighborhood, which I'll talk about in just a minute. But, <coughs> excuse me, her moving to the city got the city on my radar screen in a different way. I, I was kind of like a lot of people, I think, in America who don't live in an, in, inside of a city they look at the cities kind of as these big blobs that are full of people in the day and empty at night. Or they see them as places where there's lots of crime and lots of drugs and gangs and bad stuff going on. Or they see them sometimes, uh, in fact, it's kind of portrayed a little bit in the video, as they are sort of these upscale, expensive places to live where all the cool people live. So it depends on all these different mythologies. And I, I had a, some bad ideas about the city where, cities. were. But what... So I started doing study because my daughter's going to this city. And I realized that cities are something that they they have a real serious problem when it comes to the body of Christ, and that's this. Over the years, what's happened is churches or people kind of moved out of the cities. The churches followed them out of the cities, and then people are starting to move back to the cities, but the churches aren't going back there. And so what's happened is now in most city centers, where as the density of the population goes up, the presence of the church goes down. So let's go to the next slide. So that's the problem. Uh, The problem is more people, less church. That's a real problem because when you talk about cities, you have dense, large groups of people that don't have access to a church. And my mind was, well, they can just come out and go to all these great churches like Bethlehem. We're not that far from, from downtown Manhattan or whatever in some ways. And so why don't they just come out here? But they're not doing that. And so um, so Lindsay's experience helped me to become aware of the problem. And uh, let me tell you, you know, it's, it's a big problem not just for people live in somewhere else. But let's look at this number. I want you to look at a number right here. Um, okay, just, just, just think about it. That's a lot. That's a big number. Let me tell you what that number is. Uh, I went to a website and I did some research and found that uh, it, when you take the combined population of Queens County and Nassau County, which you, we're pretty much right in the geographical center of, of those two counties. They're right next to each other. This particular website actually has done, they've done the research where they're able to say, okay, there's this many people would fall into the category of evangelical Christian. And by, when they put somebody in evangelical Christian category, they, that means they go to church at least once every three weeks. Okay? That's all it means. So we don't know if they're Christians or not. It's just they go to church at least once every three weeks. Evangelical Christian. Or Catholic. Or mainline Christian, they have these different categories of people's people, the practice of religion that people practice, and uh, but then they have this other category that's called unclaimed, and they say the unclaimed category are the people who don't go to any church ever. We don't know where they're at. They're just, in other words, nobody's claiming them. Nobody's claiming them. Guess what? That's the number of people in Queens. County and Nassau County. So, that radius around you, there's 1,568,524 people that are unclaimed. So, they're not, it's not like they're, uh, you know, they're going to church sometimes. They just don't go to church at all. That's how many people, at least. That's a conservative number. And so, that's the challenge for each one of us. Each one of those people is an individual. It's a big challenge, it's a big, it's a big issue. But Lindsay's experience not only showed me the problem and made me aware of something we need to be aware of, but it showed me what I believe is a biblical, godly solution. And so what happened was this program that she got involved in, she went, lived in this neighborhood, and they did four things. One of them was continue their education. Another was they worked with a local church in that community. The third was they worked with a community service project in that community. And the fourth was they loved their neighbors. Now the first three, I get it, you know, you're gonna keep your education going, that's awesome. You're going to uh, serve in a local church, I get that. You're gonna serve in a community service project, I get that. But when she told me she was gonna love her neighbors, I thought that was just like a, f- like. Just fluff, you know. What? You're just going to be nice to people. That's what that means. You're just going to be nice to people. So, I was a little cynical and skeptical of that, but I thought the other three were worth it. We we got her there. We sent her there, and so she did that. They they helped with the local church that was embedded in that community. They she worked in a halfway house, and so we went to visit her after she'd been there for ten months. The first thing that happened for me was <laughs> I wanted to put myself in jail for letting my daughter live in this neighborhood, because uh, man, it was kind of a scary place. There was there was visible crime taking place in the afternoon uh, in broad daylight right in the middle of the neighborhood. It was kind of the stereotypical kind of bad urban neighborhood that a lot of people think that's what they're all about. And so, you know, she's living in the middle of that, but she'd been there for 10 months. She'd learned how to become pretty streetwise, learned how to do pretty well, and uh, had some pretty scary stories to tell. But anyway, she said, let me take you around and show you my life now. So we went to the little church that she was working in, and we went to the um, uh, community service project where she... She served a halfway house for homeless families, and she would do the children's programming. Every day she was there for three or four hours doing stuff with the kids, doing programming and stuff for the children. It was wonderful. It was powerful. I was so impressed. And, man, that would have been enough. But then, then we went back to her house, and I said, okay, show me the love your neighbor thing. And I thought she was just going to say, oh, you know, we just walk around and wave at people and smile. And she said, "Oh, I'll be happy to do that." So she said, "Follow me." And I thought, "Okay, what are we about to see here? Is there a love your neighbor group or something?" And we walked to the house next door, and she, Lindsay knocked on the door, and this lady, this older lady, comes to the door and opens it. She said, "Oh, Lindsay, I'm so glad you're here. But why are you here? It's not Friday." And she said, "I said, well, what happens on Friday?" She said, "Your daughter washes my hair and fixes it for the weekend, every Friday." My wife about fainted because, you know, she'd been trying to get her to wash her hair and do stuff when she was at home as a teenager, and that was a no-go, you know. So, um, so uh, you know, we were, and I, I was like, wow, okay, whoa, this Love Your Neighbor thing has some, it has some content to it, folks. And so I went to, we went to the next house. She knocks on the door. This lady comes to the door, and she said, oh, Lindsay, I'm so glad you're here, Brian passed his test. I was going to call you. He's going to be able to get that job. And I said, what's the story here? And she goes, your daughter taught my husband how to read. 20 houses later, I knew what loving your neighbor looked like. And it was simple and profound and powerful and amazing all at the same time. And I was so convicted, I thought, I've never loved a neighbor, period. Compared to how this, and you multiply that by there's six kids, so there's six. They're going to 120 different homes. 120 different homes in that neighborhood were receiving a face-to-face, physical, incarnational message of God's love delivered to them in a language they understood every week. Wow. And I thought, this is how you fix the cities. This is how you go into the cities. So Jesus said, he actually said, Do you know, have you noticed the command is to go and make disciples? Go, and, and that means that if to obey go, you can't, you can't stay. <laughs> you have to move from where you're at. To obey that command, you can't stay where you're at. You have to make a shift. I'm going to ask you to make a shift in just a minute. Because you have to, in order for us to go and make disciples, and some people are going to be called to go into urban neighborhoods, and that's what's happening with urban islands right now. So the solution, go to the next slide, the solution is to go there, to go there, go there, move from here to there. That's what God's called us to do. But when we think about that, it's just overwhelming. It's overwhelming. It's like 1.5 million people. Um, Where do we start? What do we do? I mean, we've got this great church and, you know, we make it, this is a welcoming, warm place and many people come here and there's all kinds of great stuff going on, but there's still 1.5 million people out there that we're not even touching. So how do you start to do something about that? And how did they do it? How did they connect with those people in such a short time where they're actually in their lives and delivering God's love to them in tangible ways? You know, I found out what the secret was, and here it is. I'm going to give it to you right now. I want you to write this down because this is like the foundational super secret yet super powerful thing that's right there in Scripture. Go to the next slide. Well, there it is right there. 2 Timothy. Paul gave us a clue. When you read his letters, all of his letters, there's this somewhere in almost every letter, if not all of them, it says something about, I pray for you every day. I'm praying for you. I remember you in my prayers. Here's just one 2 Timothy. He tells Timothy, As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. And I'd read that stuff a billion times until it it dawned on me because that's what Lindsay and her kids, the, the teams were doing. They were praying for people praying for people and that begins to open up the door they learn they learn their names and begin to pray for them and so here's the i want you to write this down if someone is in my life they deserve to be prayed for if someone is in my life they deserve to be prayed for i mean it's kind of really in some ways the least we can do But it's not just the least we can do. It's a powerful thing to do. And I want to just end our time together today by telling you some stories that illustrate... How this is a principle that works over and over and over and over and over and over again. And if people in this church become intentional about praying for the people that are in our lives, God is gonna cause a revolutionary wave of His love and His peace and His restoration and His freedom to sweep through this community. And this is gonna be a different place. And it's gonna spill over. And God bless Manhattan and Brooklyn and all those other neighborhoods and and boroughs and everything over the millions of people that are within just the reach of this church. You guys can actually be little as much when God is in it. You guys as a church, through the power of prayer, can literally change the destiny of this great city that you're part of. So I want to just give you some stories to illustrate what I'm talking about. So go to the first. So this, first of all, when you get involved in persistent prayer, here's one of the reasons, here's one of the things that happens. Persistent prayer invites the supernatural intervention of God into the lives of people. So this is my friend, Doyle Robinson. Doyle, uh, about 20 years ago now, felt like God called him down to the streets of Denver, Colorado, where there's a lot of kids that live. What's happened is these are kids that have, um, something has gone on in their family, and they're going to be placed in the foster system, and they don't want to be in a foster family. So they just run, and they go live on the street. And they don't want to be found, so they adopt street names. So they have names like, satan and gutter boy and natas and all these scary sounding names because they just want to they don't they want to stay off the grid you know so so doyle uh, felt like god was calling him to go down there and bring the father heart of god to these street kids that and there's hundreds of them down there and so again 20 years ago his first what he first did was just walk down there and just start talking to them. he learned their names and you know what he did when he learned their names he started praying for them. He just started praying over them. And the Holy Spirit spoke to him as he listened to them, as he talked to them and, and shared the, and learned their names and began to pray for them. The Holy Spirit spoke to him and, and and said, you need to go get these kids some socks, S-O-C-K-S, some socks, because they live on the streets and wearing the same pair of socks every day, day after day after day, when your main mode of transportation is your feet. Your feet just start to hurt because you're wearing the same socks every day. He said he learned that the thing they needed most was just a clean pair of socks. So, you know, he went down to Walmart and bought a big bag of those white tube socks, put them in another bag, and just started walking around the streets of Denver, bumping into these kids, saying, hey, my name's Doyle, and uh, I want to give you some some socks. And they're like, thank you. Man, you really understand what we need. Well, after a while, you know, he did that one day, two days, three days, one week, two weeks, three weeks, one month, two months, three months, one year, two years. Somewhere in the middle of the second year, he got his own street name. They called him Socks. <laughs> Sox. S-O-X. <laughs> and, um, and somebody heard about what he was doing, and they said, hey, we've got a place that we'd like to let you use. And he created this drop-in center called Socks Place. And a lot of the people that were backing him up and helping him afford it were churches and stuff. So he called me up, and I was working. At that time, I was kind of his supervisor, and he said, Hey, I want to invite some pastors to come and see what is happening through their investment. And I said, Well, what are they going to see? And he said, Well, they're going to see the place. And he said, I'd like for them to meet some of the people that we've connected with. And, um, in fact, I'd like some of the people we connected with to to tell them about how much of an impact Sox Place has made in, in their lives. And I said, Well... Let me just ask a question so I know what we're getting into here, Doyle. I said, how, how many of these kids have actually, at this point, decided to follow Jesus? And he said, well, actually, nobody has yet. We're three years into it. I said, so that's, boy, Doyle, I, I, I said, you know, what, what do you think about that? He goes, here, here's the thing, Steve. He said, this is, gonna, this is a, a marathon, not a sprint. He said, I pray for these kids by name every day. And he said, God's going to break through. And he said, I think I need the help of the churches and the pastors more than ever, and I need their prayer support. So I gotta get them down there so they see. Because if you know these kids are gonna love them. I said, Okay. So I you know, he didn't consult with me. He sent out this, this invitation to all these pastors, and he's hey, why don't you come down to Sox Place and meet all the kids we're working with? And we're gonna have some guest speakers. One of them's gonna be Satan, another one's gonna be Natos, another one's gonna be gutter boy. I called him up. I said, Doyle, you know, these are pastors. I think he just freaked them out, you know. But anyway, they all, so sure enough, all the pastors, I think they were curious. They wanted to see what a guest speaker, you know, Satan would be, you know. So they showed up, and, you know, they're a bunch of pastors, you know. They're very conservatively dressed and kind of look like me, you know, just kind of kind of bland white guys, you know. And, and we... And we're from outside of the city, so we're like, oh God, we're in the middle of the city. All this, we're scared to death. We walk into Sox place and here's all these kids and they look like they look like the uh, apocalypse, you know. They're they've got these like really big mohawks that are multicolored, tats and piercings and ears thing. Just they're scary looking, they're tatted and, and stuff, and you know, and, and anyway, so so gutter boy is is the main speaker and, and he gets up and he's got this mohawk that's just amazing, and he goes well, I don't know what I think about God. So that's his opening line, you know. Oh, great. Because I'm just hoping these pastors will, and this, that didn't sound good. But he, then he said, but I got to tell you, this guy right here loves me. Nobody else in my life has loved me. I just want to make it, I just want to say thanks to you guys for making it possible for him to be here. Well, yeah, yeah. Now, you got a bunch of middle-aged, conservatively dressed white guys crying like a bunch of babies, you know. And so one of the guys goes, Gutter Boy, can we pray for you? <laughs> he's like, sure, I don't, it's not going to hurt me, you know. So we all got around him. Ah, we were praying, you know, a kind of Pentecostal prayer. And, and, you know, he's kind of looking around like, whoa, you know, hadn't seen this before. But later that day, Gutter Boy, who was kind of, the ringleader of a lot of these kids. They looked to him. He was a leader. He, he came back to Doyle, and he says, "I hey, I think I'm ready, Socks, Socks said, what are you talking about? He said, I want to give my life to Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Three years of praying every day and a bunch of scared pastors, and that's what it took just for him to step over the line. Once he did, other people started stepping over the line because... They, they followed him. So that's how it works. So see, day after day after day. So, you know, I knew this kind of stuff. And, and, and um, I, I lived in Springfield, Missouri for eight and a half years. And I was trying to find somebody that I could know that wasn't a Christian that I could pray for. And it was kind of hard to do. Springfield is a small town. We lived in kind of the outskirts of the smallest town. All of our neighbors were Assemblies of God or Baptist people, you know. So I prayed. I I prayed for people, but I didn't know anybody who wasn't a Christian, you know. And then I moved to downtown Denver. I live in a high-rise apartment building in downtown Denver. And all of a sudden... I don't have any people I know that are Christians. <laughs> it was the exact opposite. In fact, most of my neighbors, in fact, the immediate neighbors around me, are gay couples who also don't claim to know Christ. They're not trying to follow Jesus. They're they're uh, they're just. It's so 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 different. And man, all of a sudden, I, I just, I, I'm plunged into this opportunity, into this mission field. And I went back to this principle of of praying persistently for people. I thought, I got to learn all these people's names so I can start praying for them. So I started, every time I bumped into somebody in the hall or in the elevator, I found a way to get their name. Hey, give me your name. And I wrote them down. I've got this chart on our on our. Um, uh, uh, refrigerator in, in our apartment, and I've got the names of everybody that's written down, and and I started praying for those people every day, every day, every day, one month, two months, three months, and, you know, I bump into people and meet more people, and I'll tell you right now, my list is up to 120 people I'm praying for every day, you know, and, and so what happened was, I, I, I'm praying for these guys every day and I'm going, okay, God, what's going to happen out of this? And, and one day, one of the, one of the couples, one of the ladies who's, who's one of the lesbian couples that lives right next door to us, we, we'd met them and I'm going to call them Carol and Susan, cause I want to respect their privacy. But Carol and Susan, you know, we'd met them and, and they have a cat and we kept their cat sometimes and they keep our dog Sometimes we become friends with them. And, um, and so I, uh, I'm walking down the hall and, and, Susan comes walking towards me and she's just crying her eyes out. And I, I said, hey, what's going on? Are you okay? What happened? She said, we broke up. And um, and I thought, you know, there's a biblical theological truth that I believe and I understand that would cause me to think, that's good. That You're headed in the right direction. But... There's another truth that I knew, and that is that this is a human person who's hurting because she's been hurt and rejected, and her relationship is broken, and right now is not the time to have a theological discussion with her about sexuality and all that stuff. Right now is the time, and I felt the Holy Spirit come on me, and I said, Hey, Susan, I want you to know something. Since the first day I met you, I've been praying for you by name every day. She said, you have? <laughs> I said, yeah. And I said, and I'm convinced right now that God sent me here for this moment. He wanted us to bump into each other in the hall so I can give you a message from him. <laughs> and she said, you, really? You have a message? I said, yeah. I said, here's what God wants you to know. He loves you, and he understands the pain that you're going through. He's been rejected. He's been, he's, he's, he's felt the hardest rejection anybody could felt. He actually understands what you're going through and he wants to be close to you right now. And he wants you to be close to him. I said, can I just pray for you right now, right here? I've been praying for you every day. She goes, would you please, you know? So I'd like put my hands on her shoulder and we had a prayer time right there in the hall. I prayed over her. And, and then she said, you know, I, man, that, that's so powerful. She says, you know, I can't really go to church cause I'm gay. And I said, you know what, I kind of understand how you might feel that way because the church has not always done a great job of interfacing with people that are gay. So I get that. But I said, here's the thing. You can come to Jesus fully and completely. And I said, God loves you and I love you. And she said, can we get together and talk about church stuff? And I said, absolutely, absolutely. So that's opened the door. Now, how did that happen? Because we, I prayed for her every day, prayer, prayer starts to work in people 's lives and change people 's lives okay so uh, let me tell you a couple more stories really quick, and then we we'll, we 'll give you a chance. This is Preston and Lisa Almer. They started a church in downtown in um, uh, a neighborhood in Denver called Berkeley, which. Preston found out because he went around. What he did was he moved into this town and he, or this part of town, and he started going to all the shop owners and saying, hey, why did you start Why did you start a business here in this community? And they would answer him and stuff. And he was learning about the community so that he could share with them, and he'd learn their names, and he started praying for them because that's what we teach people to do. Learn people's names, start praying for them. And so you got to get out there, and you got to meet people. you got to hang out with people. So he went out, and he's hanging out with them. He's talking with them. Well, he ran into this guy named Trax, who's a shop owner of the Laughing Latte, and uh, he's, he's telling Trax, you know, hey, ask Trax his question. Trax answers back, well, this is why, blah, blah, blah. And then he says, why are you here? Trax says to Preston. Preston says, well, I'm here uh, because I'm starting a new faith community. And Trax said, oh, no, you're one of those guys. He said, let me just do a favor, do you a favor. Take your family and your little kids and move somewhere else. Because he said, most people in this neighborhood are just like me. We're atheists or we don't believe in anything. And he said, there's nobody buying what you're selling. So just, just go, just leave. And Preston said, well, you know what? Is it possible that you have not been properly introduced to the church? And Tracks said, I don't know. What are you talking about? So they started this conversation. They met a few more times. And one day, Tracks said to Preston, he said, you know, I'm really enjoying these conversations. Would it be okay if I invited some of my friends to come hang out? And so Preston said, no, that'd be great. Let's do that. And, and the next thing you know, they started this thing called the Doubters Club. And so they get together and Christians and atheists and people who don't believe what Christians believe get together and they throw up a topic and say, okay, what's the Christian thought about this and what's the atheist thought about this? You know, and I honestly, I'm kind of supervising press and I kind of wondered where that's going. Are you guys just going to talk and never go anywhere? And he said, oh, no, no. He says, I, here's, here's what's going to happen next. I don't know when, I don't know how, but some of them are going to start coming to me uh, and, and asking questions. And sure enough, One of the guys that did was a guy named Anduin. He came to him as like a Nicodemus conversation, you know. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night and said, Hey, been listening to you talk and can't really ask questions in public, but do you mind if we have a conversation right now? And that's what Anduin did. So he started talking. And so I was talking with Anduin about his journey just a few weeks ago. I said, Tell me your story. And he says, Well, I met with Preston for about six months. And he said, One day as we were talking, I realized that I was falling in love with Jesus six months into it. Preston praying for him. Do you start to see the pattern here? There's a pattern here. I mean, we've seen it already. Sonny, you know, he meets this guy, this Caiapha guy. The guy starts praying for him, starts hanging out with him, and eventually he starts following Jesus at very great personal cost. You know, the other stories I've been telling, all these guys, God's working in their lives, bringing them. And the, and the, the thing that is tying all this together is there's somebody who knows Jesus who's praying for them, Every day, faithfully, faithfully praying for him. Last story, and then I'm going to ask you to take an action step. So the last picture. So persistent prayer lays a foundation for sharing the good news. And number three, persistent prayer impacts the eternal destiny of those around us. So um, this is my friend John. John started a church right outside of of, uh, San Antonio, Texas in in a town called Holotus. And John goes there and uh, he's a triathlete and he's, he actually called me and said, "How do I start a church?" And I said, "You need to learn the names of at least 1200 people in the neighborhood and be praying for them every day." And he goes, "That's impossible." And I said, "Yeah, maybe it is. Get some people to help you." So he did. He got a bunch of people. They all went out, started meeting people, started learning their names and praying for them, and God started doing miracles. And John had a personal miracle happen with this guy whose name is Val. Val, he met because they're both triathletes. They started working out together. One day they're jogging down the road and Val kind of says, "Hey, so what do you do for a living?" I never Asked you that and John said oh I'm a pastor and Val stopped and cursed and said oh no I can't believe it you're a pastor I can't hang out with you you're going to try to win me to Jesus and I know the drill and please just stay away from me you know we can't be friends anymore and John said whoa whoa, whoa what's the problem he goes I just don't want to go there I don't want to have that conversation and and John on the spot said you know what you're my friend. You're going to be my friend whether you believe what I believe or not. So I'm going to make a pledge to you. I'm not going to preach to you. I'm not going to try to share Jesus with you unless you give me permission to do that. Is that fair enough? And, and Val said, okay. But the first time you try to cram it down my throat, then we're done. Okay. So they kept working out together. One day Val called them. And they were supposed to work out together. And Val said... Dude, I can't come because I just went to the doctor and found out that um, I've got a really serious illness. In fact, they're telling me I might just have weeks to live. It's kind of a shocking diagnosis, and he said, I've got to go for some more testing and stuff, so I just can't make our appointment. But he goes, he goes man, I'm, I'm kind of scared, and, and I just wanted to call you and let you know. And John said, you know, is it okay if I pray for you right now? And, and Val said, yeah, you can pray for me. And John said, is, now, I know I said I wouldn't preach to you, but is it okay if I talk to you about Jesus? He goes, I'm not ready for that conversation right now. But when I am, you're going to be the guy I'm going to have it with. And John said, okay, okay, that's great. A few days later, I don't, it was like a week or two later, he gets, John gets a call from Val's wife. And see, John thought that the way this story was going to play out was that Val was going to be miraculously healed, and he was going to come to faith, and it was going to be great testimony, and all that kind of stuff. But Val's wife called and told John that Val had died. I mean, he was dead, dead. No, no miracle happened in here, at least the kind of miracle that John was hoping for. And so, John said, oh, man, I'm so sorry. And he felt horrible because he thought, man, I should have gone for it. I should have just preached at him whether he wanted it or not. You know, he was second-guessing himself. And so he said, and she said, you know, we're not religious people, so I I know that you guys do some kind of ceremony or something when people die. She said, would you be willing to do that for, for Val? I just hate to just put him in the ground with nothing. And John said, yes, I will do that. He said, I just really kind of only have known Val for a little while. Could Do you have like a diary or something that he's kept about his life and stuff so I could learn more about him? She goes, a Matter of fact, he was very faithful about keeping a diary. I'll give you his diary and you can read through it and use whatever you want. So John started reading Val's diary. And he's reading about the day when they first met, and Val's saying, Hey, I met this cool guy named John. I'm really excited about working out with him. We're kind of equal. but uh, And then the day that, John, that Val found out John was a pastor was filled with a lot of expletives and unhappy comments, you know. And, uh, and But then he kept reading through, and he got to the day before Val passed away. And he read at the bottom of the page, it said, Today I gave my heart to Jesus. <laughs> and I can hardly wait to tell John about it. So John's first sermon that he preached, because the church hadn't even started holding services yet that he was starting. So he, the first sermon that he preached was to 300 of Val's unsaved friends. And he preached from the Bible and Val's diary. (laughs) He said, here's what Val decided to do. Here's what the Bible says that's about. I invite you to do the same. And many of the people responded and said, yeah, we want to follow Jesus. So you know what? To be honest with you, you already know what the action step's going to be right now. And this is going to set in motion a wave of God's love that's going to be amazing. And over the next weeks and months and years, this church is going to see a level of fruit that you've never dreamed was possible. And here's the simple first step. Everybody can do this, whether you do anything else. I just want you to either take out a piece of paper or take out your phone or your iPad or whatever you've got, something that you can record something on. And I think it's really important to write the names down somewhere or type them into an app or whatever, however you record stuff. And what I want you to do is try to think about ten people that are in your life. Remember what I said. If someone is in your life or if someone is in my life, they deserve to be prayed for. If somebody's in your life, they deserve to be prayed for. I don't care whether you agree with who they are or what they do or not. They deserve to be prayed for because that's not an accident that they're in your life. And the least... And it's not really even least. It's, it's a most powerful thing you can do is lift them up in prayer consistently. So write their names down and, and just shoot for ten. If you have more, that's great. But try to think of ten people who, to your knowledge, do not know Jesus or are not following Jesus. So maybe they really are and you just don't know it, but it doesn't matter. Just if you say, yeah, I'm not sure if this person is following Jesus or not, I'm going to put them on my list and I'm going to pray for that person. So Just take a few minutes right now. Do that. Do that. I give you permission to not look at me or pay attention to what I'm saying necessarily. I'm kind of stalling just a little bit. Give you a little time. Write those names down. And here's what we're going to do right now. I'm going to pray a general prayer over the names because think about it. Think about it. I don't know how many people are in this room, but hundreds at least. You multiply that by 10 each. We're talking about thousands of people that are going to be impacted by what's about to happen in this room because we're going to start laying the foundation of changing people's eternities because we're praying for them. Okay? You you ready? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we lift up these names to you right now. In fact, I want you just, as I'm praying, you call the names out loud. Just say the names, just their first name. Don't have to say the whole thing. Just say their first name out loud and, and call it out before the Lord. Lord, we hold up these names to you. We hold up these names, these precious names that represent the totality of somebody's life. And in Jesus' name, we ask, Lord God, that you will begin to work in their life, that you will bless them, that you will bring people into their lives, that you'll, you'll allow us and our friendship and our connection to them to be strengthened, to be, to be, uh, uh, to, to just give us the words to speak and, and the things to do. Help us to know how to indeed love our neighbor, Lord God. And may we see the counties of Queens and the county of, of Nassau transformed by the power of your Holy Spirit as people consistently are being prayed for by this, this, these folks that have gathered here today. Lord, help us to take that step in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God.
1: Amen. Powerful, powerful, powerful. There is nothing more powerful than prayer. There is nothing more powerful than persistent, consistent prayer for people. One of the greatest gifts I received as a pastor of this church is that several years ago, we, we bought a building on the avenue, on Rockway Avenue. My office is not here at the church. And in the beginning, I thought, well, that's pretty inconvenient. You know, I have to walk from here to there. And then I realized the Lord set that up because every day I park here and I walk down the avenue and I get to go into the bakery, into the tailor, into the hairdressing place, into wherever and I get to talk to people and meet people so that I can put them on my prayer hit list. And man, there was a young man who I met. He was a hairdresser. And I just going there, and we would talk about the Jets when I was a Jet fan. And we would talk about the Yankees, and I'll always be a Yankee fan. And I just began to just absolutely get to know this guy and for years i remember one day i said to this young man i said hey man you know what i'd love to go out to lunch and tell you my life story and it just didn't happen he just never had the time but i kept on praying for this young man and one day i said hey we're having a easter service would you like to come and he came and he gave his life to jesus And not only did he give his life to jesus but I was able to marry him and his wife, and today I'm his mentor, and when he has an issue, he comes to me and God is growing his life, and it was all birthed out of two things, two things: relationship and prayer. And let me tell you, folks, you've got people all around you that God wants you to touch their lives. I remember one man told me, he said, "Listen, he said, "I don't like Christianity." I'm, I, don't, I don't like Christianity. I don't like the symbols of Christianity. He said, but I like you. And I thought to myself, what does he like about me? So we have a relationship today. Well, what does he like about me? He, he doesn't know this, but he likes the Jesus inside of me. That's what he really likes. That's what's attractive to him is that that Jesus is is inside of me. And, you know, so often we believe the church is a building. And, you know, after an incredible message like that, I want to tell you. Hey, man, invite your friends or your relatives to Easter service. And you should. We should. We should invite as many people. And and my temptation is to say to you, and the week after Easter, we're going to have an incredible, incredible person who loves God, who was an athlete, who played for the Yankees and the Mets, and he had one World Series with the Mets and three World Series with the Yankees, and his name is Darryl Strawberry. And 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 I want to tell you to invite people out to Hope Day because... It'll be a great thing. You know, that's my first temptation is invite them to an event. But you know what? The truth of the matter is, is that the church is not a building and the church is not an event. You are the church and you are the main event and you can go wherever the people are. And listen, if they don't want to come to the church or they don't want to come to Hope Day, they'll know and see Jesus because you went to them. So I pray to God. That you have a list of 10 people. How many of you wrote down a list of people? I pray to God that you will take time right now to write down the names. I wrote down 10 names of people that I need to pray for every single day of my life. Can you imagine what will happen when we all begin to do that together? There are thousands of people that God is going to begin to move on their hearts because somebody is praying for them. Let's pray right now. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor Steve, I'm not certain if I die today, I'd go to heaven. Maybe you're watching via live stream today. Maybe you're in the cafe. Maybe you're in the balcony today. You say, Pastor, I'm I'm not sure that if I die today, I'd go to heaven and I need Jesus Christ to come into my life. I need God to change my life. Would you raise your hand right now? I want to pray for you right now. I would never want to pass up. Yes, I see that hand. Others that are here today, you say, Pastor, pray for me today. I need to give my life to God. I need to turn my life over to God. Yes, I see that hand. Others that are here today, you say, Pastor, pray for me. Maybe you're watching via live stream. You could do it right in your living room. You could do it in that Starbucks right now. You can pray a prayer. So here's what I want you to do. I want everybody just to stand real quick. And, and if you raised your hand, we've got some counselors here. And they're coming right now. And they want to give you some information so that you can start your faith journey. Really incredibly important information. They want to pray for you right now. So if you raised your hand right after the service is over, please come forward talk to one of our counselors today they want to give you some information and they want to pray for you i'd love to meet you myself i'd love to shake your hand maybe you're here today and you already know that if you died today you'd go to heaven but you need a miracle in your life maybe you need a a physical miracle or spiritual financial whatever it is and you just need somebody to pray with you these counselors are here waiting to pray for you today Come on, let's all pray this prayer together, inviting Christ to be Lord of our life. Come on, pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me so much that you came to me. You didn't wait until I came to you, but you came to me. You met me where I was. Lord, I thank you today that you died on the cross for all of my sins Lord forgive me of my sins and be the lord of my life one day at a time by grace and faith I'll trust you in Jesus name I pray and everyone said amen come on somebody just thank the lord right now thank you god thank you for those folks lord that prayed that prayer today for the very first time thank you lord for those for those incredibly courageous people that pray to prayer faith today i pray that as they come and they meet the counselors that you'll do a work in their life lord help us lord each and every day lord to reach out to someone help us to begin to pray lord for our for those people lord around us that you can begin to change their lives oh god we thank you for that in jesus name don't forget god has a plan for your life And it's big. Love you guys. Have a great day in Jesus. Have a great day in God.